0: Welcome to the Echo Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Let's all stand and let's welcome Pastor Haley. <laughs> she comes on <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Michael. Hey, just stay up here for a second. This is Michael Bus over here. Can you say hi to Michael? Michael has been serving me for the last three years, doing pretty much anything and everything. Uh, So he does all things admin. He helps pastor people. He helps lead and build schools. Um, And Michael came with me this week because my husband is home with the kids. And so Michael just, yeah, he's just literally covered so many bases, fills all the gaps, and loves Jesus. And I'm so grateful for him. So thanks, Mike, for being here. Appreciate you so much. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Michael was my intern uh, three years ago and uh, quickly became part of our family. And so he's an uncle to my children. In South Africa, you call everybody uncle and auntie when you're a kid, it doesn't matter who they are. You make sure you do not call them by their first name until they tell you to. Um, But Michael is uh, like a real uncle to my children and I'm very grateful. And he works his butt off for me. We call him the second brain Uh, so that my brain doesn't have to think of as many things. Uh, If the team, if the Bethel team that is with me could just quickly stand. I just got four uh, amazing humans with me. And they are um, alumni from our school, but also just have committed to serving this week. They've been serving at the last conference I was at, and they came here to be with us. Um, And they're just here to love and serve you guys, to pour into you, and to flow with what the Lord is doing. So can we thank them for being here? Love you guys. Hmm. I'm in a hmm moment because I'm saying, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? And that's what I've been asking the Lord all day today Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? I'll start just by sharing, real briefly, about myself. My name's Haley Braun. I was Haley Glover once upon a time until a very cute American boy smiled at me while talking to me about worship. He was the intern over worship at BSSM, and I was on the worship team. And he handed me a binder of songs, but I was more caught up in the kindest eyes I'd ever seen. And uh, it's not uh, easy to get me to lose track of words. I'm usually pretty good with my words, but that boy, the way he looked at me made me feel really strange. And I remember walking away from the conversation trying to hold the corners of my mouth down because I just wanted to smile the whole time. And um, yeah, I was... uh, wild young South African lady who had flown across the world to take in the down payment for a house that I'd saved as I was working as a hairstylist in South Africa. The Lord called me to that too. Um I used to evangelize while I cut hair. And I was looking for hungry, fiery people who wanted to believe in the God of the Bible and all that we saw in the word, not just the stuff that we felt comfortable with. And um, I packed up two suitcases, flew across the world, had nowhere to live, couch surfed for three days in Reading at 22, and um, told my mom I was going for nine months. And I've been there 15 years now. I went to the School of Supernatural Ministry 15 years ago and met that cute boy, married that cute boy, had three babies with him, uh, only him, which is very good news. Uh, And so we have an eight-year-old, a five-year-old, and a two-year-old. Um, and they're magnificent. Uh, and from there, the Lord, uh, he didn't tell me all at once that I'd be there forever. He just kind of drip fed it to me. And, um, really I always thought I'd go back to Africa and go minister to the poor. That's really where my heart was. Um, but the Lord wanted to touch a nation, not just a few. And, um, sounds crazy to say. To be honest, because who am I that the Lord would utilize my life to touch the nations of the world? But truly, I'm not much to write home about. But the mercy of God can take five loaves and two fish and feed a multitude with it. And um, actually, I feel led to share this. You know, for the longest time, I spent uh, my life living in potentially false humility And probably because the fear of man was really strong in my life. I liked to keep people happy. The goal of good leadership, I thought, was that everybody liked me. Turns out everyone didn't like Jesus and he had perfect leadership. And so uh, I don't know why they would all like me, but my leadership experience as I stepped into leadership was spent a lot of the time trying to keep people happy. And in turn, it ended up burning me out severely. And... um. I'm going to tell you a story today about how God met me and set me free. But in the process of Him setting me free from the fear of man and introducing me to the person of the Holy Spirit. And when I say introducing me, I don't mean for the first time because I got saved when I was three. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit at eight. And again, I had a wild outpouring at 12. And again, in many times in my teenage years. But this time, the outpouring was so incredibly powerful that instead of the Lord doing surgery on a part of my heart, He just displaced all that the enemy was trying to do with a wave of himself. And it changed my life forever. But what I was hoping for was it changing my life forever, that it could be this little thing that I could do with the Lord and I could keep a secret. What the Lord started doing was He started putting a megaphone to my life. And one day the Lord said to me, in the middle of COVID shutdown, the two weeks that became forever and for Melbourne became even longer than forever. Uh, But he said to me, Haley, it is just as much of a sin to self-promote as it is to self-deprecate. He said, you think it's noble to hide what I've given you in the secret little huddle, in the secret little cave. But Haley, I didn't call you to put what I gave you in the ground. I called you to reproduce it, to multiply it. Are you hearing me? Got tall poppy syndrome, hey? Australia, South Africa is not very different. Like don't get too big, don't stand out too much, don't sound like you're too awesome because if you think that, then people will think that you think a lot of yourself and and then you know all that. I don't know what happens after people think that you think a lot of yourself. What happens after that? None of us know because we all want to avoid it. No, then maybe we get rejected. So really that's the fear of man managing us, the fear of man governing us. We've seen the experience of the fear of man over nations during lockdown. We've seen this fear. And I'm not saying that uh, abiding by lockdown or doing anything like that. I'm saying it's this, uh, I I don't want to ask questions about our sexuality. I don't want to ask questions uh, about um, the biblical reference to sin. I just want to stay away from it. Anyone? Anyone? Why? Because I don't want to engage in the discomfort, but the church is being pushed to engage in discomfort, not because we want to be activists, but because we're called to be revivalists. Are you doing okay? In Genesis 1, I want you to turn there real quick. Genesis 1, 27, I believe it is. Thank you, God. In Genesis 1, 27... God makes this declaration. Let's go to 26, actually. It says, And then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping living thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female and god blessed them and god said to them be fruitful and multiply fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven over every living thing that moves on the earth you know it's really interesting how many of you have read genesis 1 before come on how many of you learned it in sunday school i did many times You know, what's really interesting here. I've been doing a study on the creation of man because I feel like the Lord told me, Haley, I didn't call you to be an activist. I called you to be a revivalist. An activist comes against something. A revivalist knows the plan of God and the purpose of God and brings that forth. And so I felt the Lord begin to woo me into studying why God made men. What's really interesting is when Genesis 1 was written, when God began to breathe the creation story, Uh, there was already many stories that existed. It was man-made stories, man-made religion. And really it was breathed into a Babylonian time, into a time when there were kings and pharaohs. And these pharaohs and kings were known by the people as the figurehead, as the image of God. Which is why when you're looking like Daniel, when the king makes a decree, everybody has to follow it. Why? Because the king is God. The pharaohs, they would have a king and a queen pharaoh. And both of them would be a representative, an image of the male God and the female God. And whatever they said is what people did. Why? Because if you disobeyed them, you disobeyed God. And God comes in and he says, I am about to tell you the real story about men and women. I'm about to tell you the real story of creation. And this story of creation is not one made by man, but it was one made by the one who made man. And this story is not about a figurehead or a person. It is about a people. It is about a people that was made in my image. So no longer now are we seeing this hierarchical point of view that one man or one woman represents God. But now God is saying every man and every woman represents and bears my image, which means everybody is on equal playing field. But it also means everybody has a mandate. And that mandate in the, in, the, in the context of what God made, He said to subdue the earth and to multiply. A lot of people think that word multiplication is simply having kids. But we can see in Matthew 25 in the parable of the talents that what did the master come to see? Did they increase what He gave them or did they not? That our life reflects the image of God by how we steward what has been given to us. That actually the glory of God is revealed by us grabbing a hold of what we have and saying, I'm going to take ownership of this and boldly I'm going to claim it and I'm going to make something of it. That word subdue, often we think of subdue as like a bad word, like squash it down. But actually that word subdue is like to cultivate a garden. We know that Justin knows what it means to cultivate a garden. Turns out when we bought a house, I didn't know what it meant to cultivate a garden. I had great ideas of what gardens should look like. I remember when we first bought a house, it was my first house ever. And I was like, oh my goodness, babe, I've got so much vision for our garden. Well, it turns out I had so much vision for our garden. But when you start watering a garden, what's growing? weeds weeds and you actually have to spend time if you want a very manicured garden I might need someone to work for me full-time that's what I've started to realize is that gardens take work subduing creation God created creation to grow everything to grow he created you to grow he created your garden to grow he created vegetables to grow he created weeds to grow he created flies to multiply everything God made multiplies Sadly, flies multiply. There's not a one thing. God takes an apple tree and inside one apple, there is potential for hundreds of apple trees. Hundreds of apples. Everything God creates has exponential increase. And somehow we as people seem to think that we, are, we somehow have to be qualified to multiply, to own, to increase uh, in, in our lives, we feel like there has to be some special qualification. Meanwhile, actually just you breathing qualifies you to increase. Are you doing okay? You can, you can talk, you can laugh. I haven't been funny yet, actually, but sometimes I think of funny things to say. Oh, you can just laugh at me. That's totally fine, too. You know, the, the world has peddled this message of you have to be influential to have a powerful life. I think Christianity a little bit at times with the way the world is has has kind of taken on that culture. And it's kind of like according to how many followers you have or how big your church is or how, how full you can make a stadium is how much of an impact you can have on your city. But actually, the God of the Bible isn't looking for the qualified. He's looking for the available. And I can say that because I have every reason to be sitting where you are and not where I am. I have no PhD. I don't even have a degree. I am a hairdresser. That is my qualification. I'm qualified to cut your hair. I could give you foils if you wanted. Could highlight it. I could do it all. And I can almost guarantee you, I, I remember wanting to go to university for psychology and the Lord telling me to go, to, ha- to go become a hairdresser. And I can almost guarantee you part of it was so that I could become a permission slip. Moses was a murderer in the wilderness, Gideon was afraid in a wine press, David was a shepherd, an adulterer. Like Samuel was a little boy of a woman that was barren, that became a miracle. Samuel shifted an entire nation. He shifted the the Israelites' entire experience of God. Samuel shifted by anointing David, by being a righteous man. In Judges 25, 21, it says that in those days the people had no king, and so they did as they saw fit in their own sight. If I couldn't think of what's happening in the world right now, there's no king, nobody, it's my truth. Nobody can tell me what the truth is. I choose what the truth is. I name it, I make it, and I create it, and I legislate it if I have half a chance. And God, in response to this time in Judges, you know what he does? He doesn't raise up a generation. He raises up an eight-year-old priest. says <laughs> when Samuel was weaned, usually around eight years old, He was committed to the house of the Lord. And the Lord said, when he raised up Samuel, he said, I will raise up one who will do what is in my heart and in my soul. I will find one who is audacious enough to say, I can hear the voice of God. One that was audacious enough to say, God, drive me into your heart so that I can carry it. I can bring it and I can become what you desire. The world is peddling a message of become the fullness of yourself. Have you seen those Instagram little things about the Disney characters? You know, all of us are obsessed with discovering who we are we've got the Enneagram, we've got Myers-Briggs, we've got the disc test, you've got finders. you've got what Disney princess you are, and sometimes you turn out to be the hyena from the, then you're like, oh no, not that one. Anyone? Ursula the sea witch from Little Mermaid. It's the last one I want to be. We, we all are trying to discover who we are. We all trying to discover what am I? How does my brain work? How does my heart work? Why am I the way I am? And it turns out that you don't know because you didn't make you. A lot of us spend so much time trying to apologize for ourselves, change ourselves when we actually didn't even create ourselves. A lot of times we think God's glory is going to come separate from us, but turns out Colossians one twenty seven that says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I had a sweet musician this year. He was a third year student. I was leading our third year and he he stayed in our house and helped us with our kids and just a spiritual son to me. And he said, Haley, I have to ask you a question. I said, great, I'm ready. Ask me the question. He goes, but I think I might sound prideful. I said, well, you're going to have to risk sounding prideful knowing that I know that you're not a prideful person. I said, sometimes we make statements that have pride in them, but doesn't make us prideful. Sometimes we have questions we, we need to have answers. We need to have people we can be vulnerable enough to bring the tough questions to that we know aren't going to label us prideful just because we asked a question that has pride. And uh, he said, Will we ever experience God's glory in worship without people getting in the way? And I think he was hoping that I'd say, Yes. There is a space in the church. There is a space in worship where God's glory will overtake us and we will get to a point where people won't get in the way. But I thought about it and I said, no, impossible. I said, because God has written human beings into the story of revealing his glory. We didn't write ourselves in. We couldn't choose our way in. But when God wrote the story of the redemption of the world, when he wrote the story of the redemption of your neighborhood, of your city, of your workplace, of your grocery store, of the the next door neighbor beside you, of the IT industry, when he wrote in the story of the revelation of his glory in Melbourne, Australia, he wrote your life into that story. And he said, I will not reveal my glory apart from those that are my heirs. There is, it is impossible because he doesn't want it. And he wrote the story. And so many times I've wished that God could do the thing that he has called me to do without me. I just wish he could just, I don't know, like he could just, my humanity could just go away and he could just go, hello, here I am. And every time I want that, he goes, no, I want to do it with you. Why? Because he is a God of love and love desires partnership. Love desires connection. Love wants to do it with those that he made. But we can get in the way sometimes. More than anything, I just want to tell you the enemy has an assignment towards your life directly in opposition to your greatest breakthrough. To And listen to me, breakthrough for yourself is not ever meant to remain with you. I think Justin played a clip of a message that I preached on a Sunday not so long ago. I preached at Bethel. I preached about every encounter is like receiving an apple. And it's so enjoyable in the moment you eat it. No, 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 no. And you have this, you know, you have this encounter. Someone comes up and they give you a prophetic word that changes your life. You're like, "Oh my goodness, it's so powerful. I love it so much. This is amazing. God sees me. Hallelujah." Or you're standing in worship and you feel the waves of God's love and you're like, "Oh God loves me. This is incredible." But at the core of every good tasting piece of fruit from heaven is seed. And so many times we have incredible experiences in the presence of God, but we forget that God has put seed at the core. And if we can plant that seed in the hearts of our lives, and if we can nurture them and protect them, those seeds will become the very thing we just ate, but they'll feed a multitude. You see, if we never ever plant seeds in our lives, we always have to go to a place that has apples. And so our Christianity, our walk is limited to Apple vendors. I have to go find the next word. I have a lot of Christians that, you know, people come visit Bethel and they come for a word and I have no problem with that, it's wonderful. Come for the word, but there is a word. There is a word that was spoken 2,000 years ago, 6,000 years ago, there were words that were spoken and those words have not changed. But so many times we want this moment because we wanna eat something, but God actually wants us to be people that plant those things in our lives and they begin to grow and we nurture them. And we take care of them. But do you know what it takes? It takes belief in who God is and who He says you are. It takes an insatiable amount of courage to own who God's called you to be. Do you know why? Because who God has called me to be is not what I came out of the womb as. Who I came out of the womb as was a little girl that wanted to go into the poor areas of Africa and minister to, to, to pastors in Africa. And if I'm quite honest, yes, I still want to do that. But part of me wanted to do that because it was easier for me to be hidden than it was to be seen. Because to be seen meant I had to face the fear of people's opinions of me. I wanted to have a life full of meaning and purpose, and I wanted to invest in my nation, but I didn't want to have to do it with the pressure. I wanted the pressure off. I thought somehow glory to glory could mean easy to easier. (laughs) This utopian idea of heaven on earth means it's easy all the time. But God says in this world, Jesus spoke, in this world you will have troubles. But take heart for I have overcome the world. To believe that God has overcome the world means I have to step out of my limitation and into the reality of who Jesus is and what He has said. And that requires faith and trust. Are you guys doing okay? I'm going for it. I, I don't know anything but the, a high gear and a high intensity. I spent a lot of time trying to get out of a high gear and high intensity because I thought people would like me if I was more chill. But it turns out when God fills my life, I become on fire. (laughs) And I will not apologize for that fire because that fire is the Spirit of God burning in me to provoke a people to step into who they're called to be. I lived in a lie of being too much or not enough for so long, hiding under a bush, hoping that my light could shine somehow while no one would see. I want to tell you, when the Lord said to me, Haley, self-deprecation is just as much of a sin as self-promotion was in the middle of COVID. I was standing on my deck. I'll never forget filling my pool. The Lord spoke it to me and He said, you were called to Africa. I've brought you to America so that Africa could be touched. And He was talking to me in the context, I just read an article of a family from Zimbabwe in South Africa who had been eating a butternut for two weeks during COVID because it was all they had. One butternut squash eating a teaspoon, a family of four, two small children, one teaspoon any time they were just beyond the place that they could not survive. I was provoked and I was stirred and I was frustrated and I was in pain. I was like, how can this be? And the Lord said to me, I didn't call you to put what I've given you under a rock. I've called you to steward it for my glory. And I knew in that moment I had to use my Instagram profile that I half hate. I just want to tell you that. I'm just like, Bleh. And I heard the Lord say, I want you to get on that Instagram profile and I want you to tell the story of this family because your church in South Africa has a feeding bank and they can feed one family with $8 for two weeks. And Haley, if I've given you influence, I don't want you to hide it under a bush. I want you to let people know. And I thought maybe I could raise $500. That would be amazing. I got on my Instagram account, sheepishly, and I said, hey, I just heard the story. I was so moved and so provoked. There has to be an answer beyond just a moment. There has to be an answer beyond a Sunday. There has to be a solution, God, because you care about the world. For God so loved the world, not just God so loved the Christians or God so loved the middle class. God so loved the world that He gave His Son And when we say gave, we don't mean just like a casual giving. We meant he he was nailed to a cross and crucified as a thief. I got on my Instagram and I shared that day. And over $10,000 came in to feed the poor. So much money came into the church feeding bank that they began to have to distribute it to churches around our city. So much money came in that going from feeding a a family of four with $8, they now could feed a family of four with $4 because they could buy in bulk. You see, when we run away from what God has given us and we make excuses, and I want to tell you, I'm not saying you make excuses. I really mean we. Maybe some of you make half the excuses I do. You probably do. But I've made so many excuses in my life. I'm too intense. I'm too quiet. I talk too much. I talk too little. I'm South African. I'm the youngest in my family. My, everyone else is more talented. I, it's true. They are all more talented. They're more talented, they're more gifted. I don't belong here. I can tell you a million reasons that I've given the Lord. Oh, I don't want to be Christian famous. We don't need more Christian famous ministers. Why, why, why? Don't we bougie? You know, just all the reasons. And the Lord says, But I'm sending you. I'm not asking your opinion. I'm asking if you'll go. <laughs> Will you go? Will you be? You see, I didn't come out of the womb wanting to do this. I came out of the womb wanting to be the, the keys player that played in the background while someone else did this. Because I want to be part of it. I just don't want to be at the front. But I want to be part. I used to play keys behind all the speakers. It was my favorite. I, I just, I just love to be a part of what God's doing. I would do anything to be a part of it. And yet the Lord said, well, I guess what? And when you came into Christ, you became a new creation. And that creation isn't a physical creation. It is a spiritual creation. You have become something new. And now my heart is your heart. And what I love, you love. And how I think, you think. And and how I created you. What you are passionate about is what I'm passionate about. And when you get frustrated, it's because I'm inviting you to know me more, Haley. This fire inside of you that you want to tame down, Haley, that is my fire. And my fire wants to consume the world with my love. And I I want to purify them, not so that they can be better so I can love them more, but I want to purify them so everything that separates them from me will go so that we can be one. The church has been believing this lie that somehow we can't when we really can. It says in Romans that where sin abounds, even more so grace abounds, which means God doesn't come and hand the Christian church a tool where sin abounds. No, He comes with the fullness of Himself in that very area in a greater measure and says, yes, I know the world is saying this, but guess who I am and guess how I am coming? I hear people say this generation is doomed because of what they're facing. They're going to face more confusion than any other generation. I want to tell you, God is going to come with more absolute truth than ever before. Some of us think that our weakness disqualifies us. But Paul says that your weakness is the very birthplace of God's power. It says that His power is made perfect. How could God's power be more perfect? I figure it just, when it exists, it's just awesome. But God says, I created a place for my power. I created the perfect resting place. And it's in the place that you cannot exert your will. (laughs) And The power of God isn't a thing. It's not an addition. The power of God is the Spirit of God. It is the Holy Spirit. Jesus in John 20, 22, walks through walls and exposes his nail-pierced hands to his disciples, the piercing in his side. He says, feel it, look. He could have told them anything, any story. He could have said, remember that one day we were fishing and the storm came. Remember how calm that they were going, oh, it's Jesus. He could have talked to them about some secret that they had. Some secret inside joke, because we know they had them. Could have reminded them when they cast out demons. But instead, he shows them the wounds that will bear their authority. He shows them that no grave held them down. He shows them, look what you're about to do. You're about to overcome every sin, sickness, death, every principality. Why? Because the grave couldn't hold me down. He shows them the wounds. Remember all those sacrifices you've been making as little boys. No more. The lamb's been slain. Your sin no longer marks your life. You are new. He shows them the wound in his hand that says you are now one with the Father. And then he breathes. (laughs) Receive the Holy Spirit. Why? Because all of the power that's wrapped up in these wounds and this hole in my side is now about to be put inside of you. Oof. See, I'm sharing this because I met the person of the Holy Spirit in a way that changed me forever. I thought that God maybe wanted me to be awesome so that he could love me more. So I could do more ministry. But the fear of man was robbing from my life. It was telling me who I could be and who I couldn't be. It was telling me what my past meant about my future and about how my belief system was going to limit me for the rest of my life. But God had another plan. And I got to the end of my rope. You know, it's interesting in the story in Luke 15 with the prodigal son, the father didn't come find the son in the pig pen. He waited for the son to turn. I'm not really sure why he waited for the sun to come towards him. But I'll tell you, my story was like that. Spent a lot of time trying to earn my way. I didn't know I was doing it. It's just how I always had lived. I wasn't trying to use God as an addition to ministry. I just didn't know how personal he wanted to make it. Oftentimes in our Christian walk, we're not trying to be distant or disconnected. We actually just don't know how close he wants to be. People say, look at Jesus, magnify Jesus. And we're like, I I, I can't see him. Where do I look? And we don't realize he sent us the helper to reveal the son. That's John 16. And um, it's a long story that I'm going to cut short. I'm going to get you up in a second, Mike, if that's okay, so. Get ready. Oh, I find it hard to talk about this story Because this story isn't just a, a good story, you know This story has fundamentally changed my life Forever Three and a half years ago, I encountered the Holy Spirit, and I've spent three and a half years stewarding one encounter, and I still have not come to the end of what I received. I just wrote a book on this encounter that I had. I was hoping to write 45,000 words. I got to 72, and I realized I had to stop, and I still have more. Because the Spirit of God is so vast and so wide and His love is so deep that it is truly unsearchable, but it is attainable. Many times we hear God is fully available to us. The veil is torn. We can have all of Him, but the church doesn't know how to make the withdrawal. Because we have limitations in our mind about who we are and who He is and how much we can access. People say, get hungry for the Lord. Actually, I think we're saying, get aware of what is available. And I want to tell you, I came to the end of my rope. I was burnt out in ministry. I had glandular fever and shingles, both viruses I'd had before. Wake up in my body again. My body was so exhausted. My adrenals on my kidneys were completely depleted. I'd been living in adrenaline because on the inside, I'd been living in the tension of trying to be everything for God and everything for people. I'd been living with two masters, trying to keep two voices happy when I just needed one on the throne. Living a life of constant sacrifice, trying to be obedient. And I got to the end of my rope and I got a prophetic word from a man named Michael Koulianus. And he said, called me out in a meeting. And he said, Haley, the fear of man has to die in your life. I thought, great. How? Didn't say it, thought it. I don't want to say that to a prophet. doesn't work so well. Called me out. Are you willing to prophesy what God says even when people don't like it? I'm thinking, I really hope so, but I really don't know how. I was kind of like Peter, you know, Peter jumps out the boat, first one out. He's like, yes, I'm coming after you, Lord. Oh my goodness, what am I doing? That was my life. I was, you know, Peter's the first guy running to the tomb. John makes it really clear. Peter doesn't make it first. John makes it first. Some people think Peter's a little fat. I don't know. Maybe he's just slow. I'm super slow. So I'm not a fast runner. I don't know. These people run and I'm just like, I, my son's got my genes. Poor kid, you know. He starts a running race and it starts out really good, but it doesn't end so great. Got a good heart, though. Good, good. Check. I touched the button. That was telling me. Aiden's got a good heart. You know, I said to Aiden, I, oh, we am good. <laughs> hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay, we're good. I'm going to keep going. I can shout, really. My voice is partially gone but we just keep having vocal zone you got miracle medicine here in Australia it doesn't exist in America maybe it's illegal I don't know but here we go no I'm playing get you laughing before you jab that's what you do I'm like an auctioneer hey sometimes it's just like you're like how far you don't write notes. just just something's gonna get it thanks Jesus my son's got a good heart. I told him, Aiden, we're brawns. Brawn means brown, but it also means strong. I said, we're ordinary, bro, but we got a good hearts, strong hearts. We don't give up. We don't quit. That's my life. Ordinary. I'm just ordinary, but I don't quit. I don't give up. Sometimes I really want to. I'm not going to lie. Right before the Lord encountered me, I sat with my counselor and I said, I, am, I, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. And she said, well, you can say no. And I burst into tears, realizing I didn't want to say no. I just wanted to flirt with the idea that maybe I could. But it was time to remove my options. It was time to take away the plan B. But it really took me to remove the plan B to get all in. And I didn't get all in after the encounter. I had to get all in before A lot of times I preach the message about the five loaves and two fish. I'm like, it just takes five loaves and two fish. But it was all that that little boy had. He may not have had a lot, but it was everything. And the life lived in the power of God is a life lived in full surrender to the Lord. Not clinging to other options, not clinging to other doctrines, not clinging to other plans or truths, but one truth. And it's a life of dependence on the Spirit. And um, I lay on the floor after Michael prophesied over me that the fear of man, he said, the fear of man dies today. And I lay on the floor, and this is what I said to the Lord. I said, Chris Valentin told me, he's one of my leaders, Chris Valentin told me that when you release a prophetic word, you release grace on it. I said, well, I'm, I'm grabbing that grace today. <laughs> Because I cannot, I cannot beat this on my own. I have tried everything possible. If you had seen me minister before my encounter, you would have seen a pretty hungry, pretty wild woman still crossing the line. But on the inside, she had a tremble. And afterwards, she'd get off the stage and she would just feel like she failed because she was never good enough. And so I would take these big risks, step over the chicken line, and afterwards I would just feel like a failure. And so I lay on the floor and I said, God, if this is real, if this word is from you, then I'm going to need all the grace attached to it. And in that moment I laid down my shield. He said, you will have to give me your shield with the fear of man. And immediately I saw a picture. I'd been shielding myself. By, by thinking about what people's opinions were and trying to play to them before anybody told me I failed. It's a wild thing when you have a prophetic gift that sometimes you can actually figure out what people want and you can serve what they want instead of what God is doing. And I had to lay down that shield and I said, well, Lord, I heard once <laughs> that when we surrender... That you will come in return. So I'll give you my shield of the fear of man if you'll be my shield. That's what I said. I knew I was being a little gingerly, a little, little cheeky, but I, I was like, I'm not going to be able to do this naked. So I'm going to need a shield. And, Jay, and Abraham said that you are my shield and my great reward. And I asked God, would you be my shield? And he said, Haley, I'll be your shield. And I'd love to tell you, I got off the floor that day and I was free, but I didn't. I got off the floor that day and I felt exactly the same, except I knew I'd received a seed. That's all I knew. I I can't explain it other than I have got something that has the ability to become something bigger than what I have right now. I just knew I had to keep it in the fire. You know, when Jesus rebukes the disciples for having little faith, it wasn't for the amount of faith. It was for the amount of time the faith remained in the fire that mountain, you have little faith. It wasn't the size of their faith. It was the length of their faith. And I knew I had to stick my faith in the fire. And every day, I pretty much, I, I, re, I woke up or I was going to a meeting and I could feel my desire to pick up the shield of the fear of man. And in faith, I just want to say something right now to you. Faith counts. Faith counts far more than you think it does. Sometimes we want to feel it before we have faith for it. And I want to tell you, faith comes before the feeling. Faith is when I believe before I see it. And when the Son of Man returns, he is actually not looking for your zeal, he is looking for your faith. And I I I didn't know that then. I can tell the story now, but I attached faith to that moment. It was, must have been through the leading of the Holy Spirit helping me. And every day, I remember once standing on the doorpost of my office before going into a hard meeting. And I just wanted to pick up the shield of the fear of man. And I wanted to protect myself. And I said, God, I give you my shield of the fear of man. Will you be my shield? And I waited against that doorpost until I felt like he said he would. I remember once going into my friend's office, Dave Ward, and telling him I was really, really terrified to do something. He looked at me, he said, Braun? He said, yes, Ward. He said, fear of man has to die. He used to say that to me so many times that I used to think that that's how Michael Couleon has prophesied it over me until I watched the clip back a few months ago and he said it nothing like that. But this friend of mine got behind me. He got behind the word of the Lord. You know, sometimes we want friends to tell us what we want to hear, but we really need friends to tell us what the truth of the Lord is over our lives. Michael, you head up for me. Michael's going to come play guitar. Thanks, Michael. And three months later, January 14th of 2020, it was about three months and I think 11 days. I'll never forget, January 14th is a a bigger day for me than my birthday now. And January 14th of 2020, I was, it's a long day, it's a long story. I don't have time to share it with you. I was taking a big risk in school and nothing had happened. And I'm walking down the stairs, going to go get my bag to leave the room. And the Lord tells me to grab someone's face. That's what he says. (laughs) How exciting. (laughs) always wanted to do that. (laughs) But I knew it was the Lord. And for three months, I'd been giving him my shield of the fear of man. And I knew today was not going to be any different. So in my logical brain, I thought I'd do it at the back of the room. But the Lord said, no, right here. Bill Johnson had been teaching about revival history in the room and there was a chair from the Welsh Revival right here. And people were stacking chairs all over the room and some people were going to come look at this chair and i uh, turns out the Lord wanted me to grab the face of the first person walking up to the chair. Now, I, I didn't think about it a lot but I did think it was kind of ludicrous. But um, I remember looking up at my friend Dave Ward who had told me many times a fear of man had to die and I said, Ward... I think I might mess everything up. And he gave me this puzzled look, but I moved immediately. And as I leant forward to grab the face of the person that was in front of me, the power of God hit me from the top of my head and shot through my body down to my feet and out of my hands. And that person flew back about three feet. And as that happened, I could feel my mind was about to just go completely blank. I can't explain it to you. I could feel like like a windscreen wipe. Just about to, it was about to get wiped. I turned to my third year and I said, text my husband, tell him I won't be home. That was all I could get out of my mind because before the fire of God started burning in me. And I leant forward to the next person. And the same thing happened to them. My friend Jess Butcher, who's a revival group pastor, saw what was happening. And they're kind of like rabid dogs around there. The minute they see God's moving, they jump on. So she, I just remember seeing her jump over someone's legs and she joined me. And as I began to lay hands, you can feel the power of God's hitting the room right now. I can feel the weight of the Lord right now in this room. As I, as I began to minister, my mind for the first time went totally clear. And every thought, every deprecating word every fear, every insecurity completely left my mind. And all I could feel was the weight of God's love and hear Him say, this is all He would say about every person, this is my prepared place. This is my resting place. This is my house to hold my glory. And I began to move and He would pace me and tell me who to touch and when to wait and what to say. And everything that He said was so full of love. I remember walking up to someone as I was ministering and I could feel they weren't ready to, for me to grab their face. I could just feel they weren't ready. And instead of God saying, oh, they're not ready, they're not open, they're closed off or whatever we want to call them, the Lord would say, lay your hands on their heart and say, I release the river of God. And in the Spirit, I could see that He was releasing His river of love to begin to flow in their lives to wash away the debris that was limiting them. He wasn't interested in the limitation. He was just interested in getting his love in. I remember as the Lord began to minister to a worship leader in our class, He said, don't touch Him, just speak. And I began to speak, it's not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of God. And the Lord began to tell me to touch His left hand and His right hand and tell Him, it's not by your gift or your ability, it's not by what people have prophesied or said, it is by the Spirit. And as I began to prophesy, this boy started to shake so violently. Surround him protect him as the Lord began to shake off fear and insecurity of his, from his life. This didn't just happen for one day. This happened for six weeks. I shook violently under the power of God. And I don't just mean at school or at church. I mean in the broccoli section of the grocery store, in my bed at night, my husband would wake up and in my sleep, I was crying out for a baptism of fire. And this wasn't because I crossed some line and found some crazy formula or because all of a sudden I became more awesome. It was because I laid it down because I had nothing left. (laughs) I had nothing left. God began to spread through our environment like wildfire. And I couldn't even tell people what was happening. People would ask me. I remember on the third day of this encounter, I went to a manager's meeting. Guys, I'm not talking like this is super cool, like I look good, like I sweat through every ounce of my clothing, including my pants for six understand your armpit sweating, but your pants, like I've only seen drummers do that before. I I I look like such a mess. I I used to, I remember the second day on this encounter, I woke up thinking I was totally normal. And I get into my car, and about a minute into my drive to work, I hit the highway and I get overwhelmed by tears, and I'm just weeping and weeping. I was driving in the truck lane, the slow lane. It was raining outside. I'm like, Lord, this is not helpful. My windscreen, I've got no windscreen wrappers on my eyes, my windshield wrappers can't move fast enough. I remember trying to get to this preacher's meeting. I was got there 20 minutes late because I couldn't get up the stairs. Who puts stairs in a revival church? I don't know. I haven't seen too many here. Well done. I walked into that preacher's meeting and people thought that I had had some devastation because I was crying so hard. And I remember just saying, it's Jesus. That day we're supposed to write poems or something to uh, describe fruit. I don't know, we're trying to work on good language for preaching so we could become more colourful preachers. And I was trying my best to honour what they're asking. You see, when the fear of man dies in you, it doesn't mean you lose honour. So I'm trying to honour, and these people are writing these fantastic poems about bananas and peaches in the summer. And I wrote a poem called Strawberry Jesus city was my favorite sweet treat. <laughs> Remember one of the greatest things that I was afraid of was that I'd embarrass my father's if I really gave myself to God. That these men, do you guys know who Bill Johnson is? Great. That that Bill Chris Salt, these people that had paid this high price for a revival that if I really gave myself to God, maybe I'd just become an embarrassment to them. I remember one day we're in church. Now, again, nobody knows what's going on because in the manager's meeting I went to, they said, "Haley, what's going on?" Because I'm crying on Thursday morning before anything's ever happened, and I tried to open my mouth to tell them, and all I do is, <gasps> and I slide onto the floor. And I'm just weeping on the floor as the Lord is undoing me. And this repentance is coming over me. And I'm going, God, I'm sorry. I've asked you to fill a room when you wanted to fill me. I thought it was easier to fill a room because it's just not as complicated as this brain is. But you wanted to fill me all along. And I'm lying on the floor in a mess, just crying and crying. I can't even tell them what's happening. And I just hear Dave go, you need to pray for them. And I'm like, I can't even move. As I'm crawling around the floor and Dave's lifting me up and flopping my hands on people. Like this isn't like beautiful. These are the leaders of our school. Like these are distinguished. I I do not recommend this, but I did this. My spiritual dad was lying face down on the floor and I just flopped over across his back. And I just began to cry out as I lay over his back. God, touch my dad. Pour out your spirit on my dad. Would you touch him, God, the way that he's invested in me, Lord. Would you pour out in greater measure? And one of these days, I'm stumbling around church and I'm praying for people because in this encounter, I could see the Holy Spirit resting on people as I can see now, all over these two right here. God is all over you too, loves you. He's with you. He loves your hunger. He loves your hunger. And He's putting a holy fire in you for such a time as this. And you've been crying out for more. And you've been wondering when it was going to happen. And the Lord says it's coming. And He's going to put you at the forefront of a great army for a harvest. And I was moving around this room, touching people. And I saw the Lord resting on our cameraman. And I went and I touched him and we both went down together. And I looked kind of like a giraffe trying to drink water, you know, because I was kind of bent over and I couldn't get up off the ground. My legs were like spread like this and it just really looked bad. And my hair was like this all the time. You couldn't see my face and my eyes were swollen from crying. And I just remember this man's hand grabbed mine as he lifted me up from probably the most awkward-looking place you've ever seen. And I could feel that his hand was a hand of an older gentleman. But the problem was, was Paul McClure was singing, I love you, Lord. And he started to sing, let it be a sweet sound. And as he started singing that, I just could not believe that I could be a sweet sound to the sweetness that was encountering me. And I was just like, I'm a sweet sound. (laughs) Oh God, we are a sweet sound. How can it be that we're a sweet sound <laughs> holding this man's hand? I don't know who he is, but he was felt very nice, very friendly. But I didn't care whose hand I was holding or who else was there because God was there. And once I got enough composure, thinking I should toddle off back to my seat and sit for a bit, I opened my eyes. And it was Bill Johnson, the very man that I was afraid that I would embarrass. And he looked at me and he said, now it's my turn. And immediately I knew that I was going to pray for him, but the Lord told me, you need to grab his face. And so I said, Papa, I'm going to need to grab your face. And he took off his glasses, put them in his pocket and Got on his knees a man of revival receiving from a messy hungry daughter just as he had always told me but I wasn't quite sure if he meant it I tell you this story because this God of my encounter is the God of your encounter and I shook for six weeks, probably because I needed to be shaken. I'm not sure what he wants to do in you tonight, but I can feel he's already stirring your hearts. There's always that question, though, could it be for me? I spent a lot of time thinking that maybe I didn't need to have an encounter like that. Probably to insulate myself from the fear of disappointment. I'm not saying that everyone will shake for six weeks. You might feel peace. Fruit of this encounter was that the Bible came alive to me like I've never experienced it before. You see, I must say this before we pray, I must say this. What we don't realize as the church is how much we need the Holy Spirit. We we are fundamentally malnourished in the ways of the Spirit. I cannot actually describe to you the grief that I feel of our willingness to live as Christians without dependence on the Spirit. And I lived it and still sometimes try to move without it. And it is not enjoyable. It is not life-giving. The Holy Spirit is paramount to living the God life in power. It is paramount to living the God life in understanding of who Jesus is and seeing and beholding Him. We cannot worship without a revelation that the Holy Spirit gives us of Jesus. We cannot know the thoughts of the Father. Some of you, you need to know the love of the Father, but you don't recognize that you have to have the revelation the Spirit brings. For 1 Corinthians 2 says... Who knows the thoughts of God but His Spirit? And it goes on to say, but you have not been given the Spirit of this world. You have been given the Spirit of God and therefore you have the mind of Christ. We have become too wrapped up in the things of this world. We've clung to our trauma. I want to tell you, God wants to touch your trauma. He loves you. He, he is absolutely moved and grieved by the trauma you have experienced. But He does not want you to build an altar around that trauma. He wants you to let Him come in so that He can love you and touch you. And one, And He will step by step, He will heal you and He will set you free. And you will become a deliverer of people. He will take that which the enemy sought to rob you and he will grieve with you and he will mourn with you and he will hold you and then he will heal you and then he will make you a deliverer of captives because that which the enemy sought to rob from you, he will use for his glory and for your fullness of life. This is who our God is. We do not have to be limited by the limitations of this world, but we can enter into his heart and he can walk with us and he can heal us and he can teach us. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, He wants to encounter you. He wants to touch you, not just now, but He wants to walk with you every day. He is my best friend. I am delighted to lean on Him. Many times before these kinds of meetings, I'll say, God, if you don't show up, I don't want to do this because my words are boring if you don't come. My words could tickle someone's ears or make someone feel good, but I'm not interested in making us feel good. God, I want transformation and only by your Spirit are we transformed. But He calls you His resting place. He calls you His home. He calls you His prepared place. And He wants to live in union and communion with you. And He wants to work through your life so that the world can know that there is one God and He is alive. Because you are image bearers of God. Called to reveal His glory. Why don't you stand with me?